Amen. All right. Now we can turn on the live stream. All right. And so we pray for our missionaries throughout the world. Not just the ones that used to be here, and we know where they are. We're now live streaming, so I'm not going to say their name or anything like that. But we pray for them. Living in a strange culture, at least strange to us. People who live there, it's normal culture for them. Okay? And, and you know, a lot of the familiarity things are not there. Although the, some, a lot of the things that are familiar, they're just a little bit different. You know, I, I, I've done some travels through, through the Army, but I stayed on Army bases, okay? So we still had our way of doing things. But still, things were just a little bit different. And, and living where they live and how they live is, you know, it, it, so you, you, you miss some of the, the, the familiar things. Um, so we pray for them. But pray for boldness. Above all things, pray for boldness. Pray for opportunities to spread the gospel. And so let's go to the Lord in prayers. We pray for not only our family that we know and love, but we pray for others too that we don't know of. Because we have thousands of missionaries throughout the world. And, and many of them have to go to countries where they don't have a missionary visa. They have to go under a business visa or something else and, and, and work and do other things. They can't just go as a missionary because it would be illegal. They would not let them in the country if they knew that was why they were there. So let us pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you provide. Help us to be your servants in all things. And Lord, we just pray for these missionaries, the ones that we know and the ones that we don't know. Give them opportunities to share the gospel, whether it's with their landlady, whether it's a neighbor, a shopkeeper, Lord, whatever the, the, the situation is, just give them opportunities to share the gospel with a stranger on the street and give them the boldness. And Lord, I pray for protection only to the point that they can continue to serve. Lord, because sometimes the dangerous part is how you open the gospel. We see that in the book of Acts. We've seen that through, if you read missionary stories, through the dangers and that they face is where the gospel is planted because of the dangers they face. And so we pray that you, your word will go out because your word is infinite, Lord. Our, our lives are finite, but your word is infinite. And show us how we can support them. We support them with, the, with the, our Christmas offering, the, the mission, the Mladi Moon offering, Lord. But also, how else can we support them in prayers? Support them in sending them words of encouragement. In, in any other way possible, Lord. So help us to be your servants in all those things. Help them to continue to be your servants as they boldly go to other places. And we just pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're not in the book of Hebrews. So I could have booked, Darren said, yeah, I could have booked through the uh, book of Hebrews and continued on, but it's like, nah. So we're in the Christmas season. We're, we're, we're going to look at one of the stories of Jesus. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. Matthew chapter 2. 
And it's not in your bulletin. I didn't get it there soon enough to, because everybody, Ben is the one who's been writing our bulletins. I don't know if you knew that. Our intern, Ben, he's been, he redesigned it. And he's been um, updating the bulletins every week. But the big idea for today is God's call to a holy, fully devoted life did not begin with Jesus' birth, but is an eternal call for all faithful believers. It's an eternal call. It's not something new. Being a faithful follower happened before Jesus was born. In today's sermon, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So let's stand as we read God's word, if you're able. Stand as we read God's word. Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and has have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem of Judea, by, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which, we have see, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it stood over the place where the child was. When, the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell on the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by, a God, by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. These are not anything we invented, Lord. These are your words. And so be with your servant this morning as we talk about them. Help us to be your servants in all things, in all ways. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will be working on the hearts and minds of myself and on each and every person in this room, on each and every person that is um, watching this or listening to this online. Because you are the mighty God. You are the one who is in charge. And we are your servants. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And you may be seated. And so here we have the account. I've, I've been trying not to say story so much because when you say story, people think, well, let me tell you a story. And it may or may not be true. And, and the Bible is not that way. This is not a storybook that you go down to the library and get. These are the accounts that really did happen, no matter what liberal theologians will try to say to us. Now, we may not be able to understand them all the way because not everything is explained fully. But that doesn't discount that they are here and they are true. 
And so we get here, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this, I know we have, we have our nativity scene out there, and it's a good summary of the story. And we, you know, we have all the TV movies, you know, the little drummer boy and all the others. The Magi did not show up at the stables. They showed up later. It says here, after Jesus was born. If you keep reading down to Matthew chapter 2, why does Herod kill infants that are two years old or younger? Because he went by the time that the, the Magi had seen the, originally seen the star. Time had passed. It says they went to the house with a child, not an infant. Okay? So think a little tally. Or, 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 or um, Therese over here running around. Jesus has been about that old. Okay? That's, you know, so Jesus has been walking around and, and, and looking at these guys. And, you know, I don't know what, what, what they would have done. And we don't know how many of these guys there are. There's three gifts. How many on your Amazon wish list have gold, frankincense, and myrrh on your Amazon wish list for Christmas? <laughs> gold, maybe, but... <laughs> You know, most of us don't have frankincense and myrrh on our Christmas list. But you know what? God provided them because what happens later in this chapter? They have to run to Egypt for their lives. God provided the means and for them to pay for the trip. Because why were they still in Bethlehem if they're from Nazareth? Because they couldn't afford the trip to go home. So they stayed. I imagine that's a piece of it. They probably had to work to pay for the, the stable visit that night to, to repay him. I don't know. And so that's what we have here. That's the setting of the story. That's the setting of this account. And the first thing we see are these magi. Who in the heck are these magi? Well, we, that one we don't know. They, they're the astrologers. Actually, magi is where we get the word magic from. That's the Greek word. When you see, if your Bible says magi, they didn't translate the word. That's the, that's what it, that's the name of the word in Greek. If it says astrologers or sorcerers or some other word, they tried to translate it. We, but if you get, read different translations, you get different words. Why? Because we don't know who really who these guys were exactly. In the book of Daniel, it uses, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, they use the word magi to describe the people who need to explain King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, that they can't because they have to call Daniel in. In the book of Acts, they use magi to describe Simon the sorcerer who wants to buy the, the ability to heal people. It's magi, it's, they use that word magi to describe Simon the sorcerer. So usually in the Bible we say you see magic it's usually a negative connotation except here these guys show up from some faraway land in the east are they from Babylon or are they from Persia that's probably where they're from one of those two places or both and they came here and who did they run into king Herod you know your history king this is king Herod the great and just kind of set the scene. You know who put King Herod the Great into power? 
Mark Anthony, as in Mark Anthony and Cleopatras, Cleopatras, Cleopatra, that one, that's who set him to power originally. And then Mark Anthony was defeated by a guy named Octavius, who became Caesar Augustus. And so we know Herod is a great politician because not only did he get appointed by Mark Anthony, he got appointed by Mark Anthony's conqueror, Caesar Augustus. So he must be a good politician that he could, he, he could handle both enemies of each other. He knew how to smooth talk. And it says that when, when he, they heard about this, it said he was troubled. King, verse 3, King Herod heard this and he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Why? Because King Herod is a paranoid type of person. He already executed one of his five wives. He's executing three of his children, one of them just days before he died. And all the other Herods that you read about later in the New Testament, Herod Antipas, Philip, Agrippa I, Agrippa II, these are all Herod's sons and grandsons, the ones he didn't execute. Herod Antipas that executed John the Baptist, was one of Herod's sons. Herodias, that King Herod's wife, who was the, previously the wife of another of King Herod's sons. Wonderful family. So, you know, stepdad is also uncle, all right? You know, that was the kind of family they lived in. King Herod was a wonderful guy, wasn't he? So people were troubled. When King Herod was on his deathbed, he had a bunch of the Jewish leaders rounded up, took them to the Hippodrome, the, like, took them to Arrowhead Stadium, said, you guys stay here. And his order was that when he died, all those people were to be executed so people would cry on the day he died. Thankfully, those orders were never carried out. That his family was wise enough to was like, yeah, well, let's not do that. And they didn't do it. King Herod was such a wonderful guy that Caesar Augustus once said, I'd rather be King Herod's pig than his son. That was how wonderful guy King Herod was. And yet, the temple that Jesus went to, if you were in Sunday school class, that Jesus went into the temple and was cleansing the temple, and the priest said, well, we've been building this temple for 46 years. King Herod started that project. He built the temple that was around when Jesus, during Jesus' ministry. He built a bunch of other stuff. He also built a temple in Samaria for the Samaritans. But he was a builder. He was one of the greatest builders in the Roman Empire other than Caesar himself. That temple building project lasted a long time. It didn't finish until 63 AD. And then the Romans knocked it down seven years later. So Herod is a mixed bag. He, he, he wasn't really Jewish, but he wanted to pretend like he was Jewish, Jewish. So he gave lip service to it. So when these magi came, who did he call? He called, well, in the army, we call them SMEs, subject matter experts. He called in the priests and the, and the scribes. 
And so we get King Herod. King Herod, what? He's deeply disturbed, isn't he? He is worried about his power. When these magi show up and talk about the king of the Jews, he understands the threat to him. And when he hears about Jesus, he is deeply disturbed, and he wants to stop the threat now. He sees the threat to his livelihood. He sees the threat to his life. He doesn't understand all the spiritual implications, but he understands the threat, and he reacts negatively to it. He wants to lash out and kill, literally. Even as he gives lip service. How did Herod give lip service? Well, he called the, he called the Pharisees and, the, and the, the chief priests and the scribes. And then he talked to the, the Magi and said, hey, I want to worship him too. Let me know. He was good at lip service. He was good at sounding like he, he, he was a follower. That's why when politicians talk about being a follower of Christ, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure you are. I don't care which party they're a part of. I'm very, I'm very questioning him unless I see other actions more than just their speeches, their lives, how they live their lives. Because if it's just about their speeches, I don't believe them. I don't care what party they were in. And that's what he, Herod was. He was deeply disturbed when he heard about Jesus. But then, well, well, well who, who should be rejoicing? The chief priests and the, and, the, and the scribes, right? In verse 4, they gathered the chief priests and the scribes. Who were scribes? Scribes were, that was a role, that was a job. In the Old Testament, scribes were Levites. But by the time this time was, you didn't have to be a Levite anymore. If you just felt called that you wanted to do that job, you could do it. And you went to school and learned how to be a scribe. Scribes are often, with, through, the new through the Gospels, were also called rabbis. One of their roles is people would come to them with their life problems and say, Rabbi, what should I do? And they would take their knowledge of the scriptures that they knew and tell you what to do. That's why they're also called lawyers. And people would come to them and they would tell them their life problems. And the, and the, and the scribe or the, would say, this is what you need to do. And that's what they had to do. If they didn't do it, they could be liable. Imagine Darren, you come to Darren and I and say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to do X, Y, and Z, and you have to do it. And if you don't, you're out of here. We, we, don't, we don't do that, by the way. Those of you who have come to me for counseling, you know I don't work that way. I, I, may, I may suggest things, but no. That's what they, what they said was, was, that's why they were also called judges. Because they would judge your life and say, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to fix. Do it or else. But they, these scribes, you know, their job was to rewrite the scripture. Because they didn't have the printing press yet, so you had to handwrite it all out. And many of these scribes had large portions of scripture memorized. There's accounts that some of them had the whole Bible memorized. And when we say the whole Bible would be the Old Testament, have it memorized. Imagine somebody having the book of Isaiah memorized. I was in seminary. I had a class, and they wanted us to memorize the whole book, but they were nice and said, in the New Testament, it was a New Testament class, they said, no, you don't have to do long ones like Hebrews or, or, or John, 
but you can't do just Jude. You got to pick a little bit longer one. You know, my goal was First John. We couldn't do second or third, but my goal was First John. I didn't get there, but I, I got part way. But to memorize it, and it, I found out it's like a muscle. You, you, you know, like, you know, I, I throw. I, if I throw a ball with my right hand, I can look pretty good. But if I throw a ball with my left hand, it looks pretty awkward, because my muscles in my left hand haven't been trained. Your brain is a muscle. If you start memorizing, you start exercising that muscle, memorizing becomes easier. So these scribes and these chief priests, they knew the scriptures, and they knew about the Messiah. You ever been to a church and they have all the charts of all the you know, end times, of everything that's going to happen? These, these scribes and Pharisees, they knew about the end times of the Messiah. They had all their charts and graphs. And so when they said, where's the Messiah going to be born? They go, I know the answer. And they said, it's written by the prophet, specifically the prophet Micah. It says, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leader of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Who was from long ago, who has eternity. And if you go back and read the actual scripture, they just left that part out when they wrote it in the New Testament. They knew the answer. They didn't have to go look it up. They knew it. It was in their brain. They had the knowledge. But where does it say in here that the scribes and chief priests went to Bethlehem and worshipped Jesus too? Why did they stay in Jerusalem? If they, these magi came, why didn't they follow him? Because they said, the Messiah is born, let's go. Why did they stay behind? Why didn't they go? They have the knowledge. They have the education. And they didn't go. These scribes, they knew the prophecies. They knew the requirements from God. Yet they did not follow the Magi. They didn't go find the Messiah. They stayed home and they stayed comfortable. They did not change anything. These scribes, they were religious people who liked God until they liked God until it was inconvenient to follow them, to follow him. They liked God until it asked too much of themselves. They liked God until it makes them look bad in the world's eyes. They liked God until it became dangerous to follow God. Because if Herod is troubled about this kid, do they want to go and risk Herod's wrath? It would have been dangerous. And so these religious people who had much religious knowledge stayed home and didn't change their lives didn't follow after God, and didn't risk anything. What did Jesus say? He said, many people will call out to me, Lord, Lord. And what did Jesus say he's going to say to him? Go away. 
at the new year. SC scribes and Pharisees. But what about these magi? These Gentiles. These followers of foreign gods. Babylon and Persia did not follow Yahweh. They followed the Babylonian gods, the Persian gods. Some people think these guys were Zoroastrians, Zoroastrians who followed some other weird way. I, I haven't really studied, but another way of following uh, another religion that, that came out of Persia. These were not Jews. They're not from Israel. Why are they there? How did they find out about this? Well, one, Jewish people did live in Persia and, and Babylon at that time. Jewish people lived in, in what's present-day Iraq and Iran, Babylon, Persia, up until 1948. When Israel was created, those countries said, yeah, okay, okay, Jews, you're out of here. And they kicked them out. There were still hundreds of thousands of Jews that lived in those countries up until 1948. And then they were kicked out. And so they may have ran into Jewish leaders and, and religious people in those countries. But yet when they saw this star, whatever it was, I know you can watch all kinds of video shows that tell you exactly what it was. I have not one been convinced yet. There's two big reasons. One, it was gone, then it reappeared, and then it moved. Because what did it say? It said the star stopped over the house where Jesus was. That's not a comet. That's not a conjunction of two planets. That's not even a supernova. I don't know what it is. Okay? So I, I don't so I, I see those shows and it's like, yeah, I'm not convinced. I've seen somebody post something that the star of Bethlehem is supposed to appear this week. Okay. I and I like astronomy. I, I, at church this morning, I went out and we had a, a, a waning crescent moon out above, the, above the church this morning. Just down to a little sliver. It was just a crescent moon. And I know the difference between a waxing one and a waning one. All right? I, I can find the planets, at least the sap, sap, Jupiter and, and Mars, I usually can find in the sky. Um, so, you know, I like this stuff. None of those shows have convinced me. God did something. And these magi, these men who studied the stars, knew something different happened. And somehow the Holy Spirit touched them and said, this is the king of the Jews. And they believed it, and they did something about it. They traveled hundreds of miles walking. It would have taken them months, if not over a year, to get there. That's why they arrived so late, because it took them a while to get there. And it's a risky journey because there were thieves on the route. And they could run into unsavory countries, unsavory uh, you know, bandits and thieves. And they did it anyway. And plus, just the inconvenience of traveling all that way and the cost of traveling all that way. 
How about ridicule they would have had at home? It's like, you're going to go to Israel for what? Who cares about the king of the Jews? That's a Roman. If they're in Babylon or Persia, they're, they're not run by the, by the Romans. They're outside the Roman Empire. You're going to go to the Roman Empire? Really? Why? For the Jews? Why? But they did it anyway. Who did God call? Who did God tell about the birth of Jesus? Was it the scribes and the chief priests? No, he told shepherds who probably couldn't read. And magi from a foreign land who didn't even follow God, but now did. What kind of God do we serve? What is your response to Jesus? Will you be like Herod and try to destroy Jesus and anybody who identifies with him? If you do, you're probably not here this morning. You're probably not watching this online. But you could be like the scribes and know all the Sunday school answers but refuse to follow Jesus because it's just too inconvenient or it's too dangerous to your reputation. I come to church, but don't let anybody else know that I'm coming to church. I'll follow you, God, as long as it's convenient, as long as you don't ask too much of me. Don't ask me to give an extra offering. Don't ask me to become a missionary and go to some other country. Don't ask me to become a preacher. Don't ask me to tell people about Christ where I work or in my family. They might not like me anymore. They might call me stupid or something. I might, I, I don't want to do that. I might lose my college friends. I might lose people in my family who won't like me anymore. Or will you choose to go out on a limb and risk your reputation, and possibly risk your life to follow Jesus. God called unworthy Gentiles and lowly shepherds to worship the newborn Messiah. God called a poor Jewish family living in an unimportant small town to be parents of the Messiah. God compelled Joseph and Mary to travel to Bethlehem when they couldn't afford it, when they lived far away. Others died because of Herod's fear. But Jesus and his family survived. God provided the resources Joseph and Mary did to escape Herod's wrath, to flee to Egypt and then back to Nazareth. God calls those who are weak and powerless to be leaders. God will sometimes make the powerful humble. God can make the poor rich and the rich become poor, but it's not always about money. How will you react to Jesus? How should you react? Well, just look at the New Testament, how people reacted. How did Zacharias, Zacharias and Elizabeth, 
an old couple who never had a child, and then suddenly, in their old age, how many ladies in here over the age of 60 want to get pregnant and have a child? How many guys over the age of 60 want their wife to have a child? <laughs> but they never had one, and they did. How did Zacharias react? He said, bless the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. After he got his voice back. Simeon the prophet at the temple when Jesus and Mary brought baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light of revelation to who? The Gentiles and the glory of your people. By the way, we're Gentiles people. If it wasn't for this, we wouldn't be worshiping God. And how did Mary react? In, in, in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 46, Mary has a, a, we call it the Magnificent. It says, and Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he, has re he had regard for my humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and in his holy name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, and has embraced in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Do you cry out to the Lord with words like that? He says, I can't think of things. Read these and make them your words. How do I make them my words? Read them out loud. Read them to that man or woman in the mirror. And tell them how wonderful God is. Remember the blessings of salvation God has given you. And if you haven't reacted to salvation yet, react for the first time. You believe the words, not just believe intellectually the words, but you believe them in your heart and you change your life. And how do I know you change your life? Because you repented of your sins. You have turned away from your sin. You say, God, I don't want to do these anymore. Even though sometimes it's hard to stop doing them but you start hating those sins instead of justifying them. You start finding ways to get rid of those sins. So how will we react to Jesus? Will you react with a deep hate like Herod did? Will you react with disingenuous apathy like the scribes did? Or will you react with devotion, determined to worship your Savior for your salvation? How will you react? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you.
We thank you for all that you provide. Help us to be your servants in all things. And help us to follow you in the big things in life and in the little things. Help us to follow you on Sunday morning and on Monday morning. Because you are the mighty God and you showed us grace and mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name.